open to Psalm 139, which is our Christmas psalm. Psalm 139, I'll be reading past our passage. Our passage will be verses 7 through 12, but I want to get some context. Uh, I will read down to verse 18. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were former for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Sends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for the word of God, sure and certain, true in all of its particulars, an infallible word given to us, and one that comes to us in power through your spirit. Speak to us now, O Lord, that we may, as your your children, be built up in our most holy faith together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this... Sermon title was inspired by a poem, which I will read at the end, uh, by a fellow named John Donne. Uh, And it is a remarkable poem with a lot of nuance to it. But the line that caught my attention is this immensity. And so the title of our message is Immensity in a Stable. Of course, this is Christmas time, so we're thinking about still the stable where our Savior was born, the Son of God, born as one of us. We've talked about that already this morning, and now we reflect on it here. But I think it's important to remember who we're talking about with the Son of God. It's one thing to talk about the Son of God as a baby uh, who is incarnate, which is true indeed, sharing in our human nature in every particular exactly one of us, a human being, 
And yet, also, it is the Son of God who has the nature of God himself. He is very God of very God, light from light. He was not made, he was begotten of the Father from before all worlds. He is God himself become a human being. So the question arises then about God. And in this passage, particularly verses 7 through 12, we read about God and who he is in himself. And this includes the Son of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the nature of God, his being. And if you were to ask the question, as is done in a children's catechism, where is God? The answer is, God is everywhere. Um, and that's an interesting statement and very important, but it's kind of hard to wrap your hand around that. So the psalmist helps us a little bit to know, you know, how you can articulate that. So in the psalm here, like in verse 8, he says, well, if I ascend to heaven, there you are. Or if I ascend to the depths of Sheol or the bottom of the sea, there you are as well. So the answer is, can you flee from God? Notice verse 7. Or where shall I flee from your presence? Uh, Jonah tried this. He didn't get very far. Uh, this, is, this is the problem with trying to flee from God. You're fleeing from someone who is everywhere. Uh, and even in the depths of the sea. Now, we talk about the depths of the sea, um, and then it's, yeah, it's pretty deep. <laughs> but then you start tracing what that really is and how deep it really is in places, and the depths of the sea are really deep in, when you start looking into it. For example, if you were to take the three sisters, Faith, Hope, and Charity, I know they've renamed them, but those are the names that I know. <laughs> Faith, Hope, and Charity, that's the names of the three sisters, the mountains in the Cascades. And if you were to stack them one on top of the other, the water of the sea in certain places would still cover them. Stack those mountains, all three, one on top of the other, there would still be water covering them. That's how deep the ocean is. And our psalmist is saying, well, if you go to the very depths of the sea, God is still there. It was interesting in my youth, there was a cosmonaut. Some of you know what a cosmonaut is. He was a uh, Soviet Union astronaut. And one, the first one to go into outer space, when he came back, said he went to space and he did not see God. I mean, this is, this is actually what he said. Of course, they were, uh, uh, by politics, they were an atheist nation. And my, the thought at the time is, well, if he'd taken off his spacesuit, he would have seen God uh, quite quickly. Uh, because even if he ascends to the very most distant part of our galaxy, he still would not have escaped God. God is still there. He's in the very heights of heaven. And this means the, creation, the created heaven as well. 
if you uh, look into Alpha Centauri, it is a, it turns out there's, we always thought it was one star, the nearest star. It turns out there are three stars there. and they're 25 trillion miles away. That's the nearest star to our galaxy, to our uh, solar system. And God is there. God is there the same way he is here. God is everywhere. We call this his omnipresence, just a word that means omni, everywhere, present. He is present everywhere. And uh, some uh, people, some theologians have said, well, he's not actually everywhere. He just has his power present everywhere. But that's not true. It's uh, true that God has his power everywhere because he is present everywhere. That's why his power is felt everywhere. It is everything about God is uh, present in one place. Now, God is omnipotent. He has all power. Look at verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. This is uh, a way of humans talking about God as if he had uh, appendages like us, hands and arms, feet, Uh, like us, so that we can conceive of him uh, exerting power like we do. Uh, But that's just a way of us talking. It's not actually uh, saying that God has these components. God has no parts. But his power is everywhere. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Wherever you go, throughout all creation, there is God and his power is being uh, felt and exerted everywhere at once. And that's because of verse eight, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. Notice who's there. It's not his hand is there or his foot happens to be in that place. It is, he is there. His hand is there as well as everything else about him. His power is there, and he is there. So notice what it says. You are there. You are here, and you are there. In heaven and the very uh, deepest parts of the ocean, there you are. You are there. And that's because God is a spirit. He can be everywhere at once, and it is he who is there. It's because God is a spirit. And we have that famous a statement of Christ in John 4, speaking to the woman at the well, when he says, God is a spirit. All who would worship him would worship him in spirit and in truth. He is a spirit. And what that means is he has no components. He is not made up of different parts. He is simple. So it's a way to talk about the simplicity of God is his presence everywhere. God is uh, fully present everywhere. It's not that a portion of him is present. He is fully present wherever you may be because he uh, composes everything and we dwell in him. This is what 
uh, Paul uh, preaches in uh, uh, Athens in Acts 17, when we read this, he is actually not far off from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. And notice, he is not far off. He uh, dwells everywhere, and he's not far from us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He is everywhere. Now, this is what we mean by God's immensity. He is everywhere at once, and his simplicity combined. It is not a portion of him that's in this part and that part and that part of creation. He is everywhere at the same time. Uh, this is the nature of God that is beyond understanding. Uh, look at Jeremiah 23, where we read, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He can see us wherever we are because he is there. He is at hand and he is far off. And notice again, it is he who is at hand and far off. Not a part of him, but he is fully present everywhere. Um, he fills all of creation. He fills the heaven and the earth. This is what we read in Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. This is why when people built temples for a place for God to rest, it was a good thing when God directed that for the people of God but for pagans to build a temple as if God needed this house to dwell in, he made the heavens and the earth, and he dwells everywhere at once. This is not the pagan God. He is the God over all creation. And uh, it's interesting that when you read about the temple that Solomon built in 1 Kings 8, here's what he says. And when the priest came out of the, not he, but the writer to 1 Kings, when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. So God has deigned, he has stooped down to tell us that he will be with us in places like that in the Old Covenant era, that he would make his presence particularly uh, with his people. This is a way for him to assure us that even though he is everywhere at once, he, everywhere, he is here, he is there, he is everywhere, fully, he is in particularly concerned for us to, so that we would know that he dwells with us and takes care of us. This is really a, a sign of his 
a bond with us. That he has he has bound himself to us to be ours, uh, and that and then he uh, claims us as his own as well. And this is this is uh, why he had this temple built so that people would see this reality, and he would bring this glory and thick darkness into the temple so that they would be assured of his particular love and care for his people. Because later in that same passage, 1 Kings 8, here's what Solomon says. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So Solomon knew that this house was not going to confine God. Uh, the, hi- the highest heavens cannot uh, contain him. So here's the deal. God is fully present everywhere. It is he who is present everywhere at once. Not just a portion of him. It, we, we conceive of him like being a, a giant that you know fills all of heaven and earth and that we see a portion of him or we might come into contact with a portion of him. But the reality is we come into contact with all of him wherever we are because he is all and fully present throughout his creation. He is simple. He's not composed of parts that can be divided. Uh, So this simplicity is uh, vital for our understanding. He is holy everywhere. You are there. He is there. He uh, shows that he is not confined, and yet he is present wherever uh, there is his presence, and that is everywhere. And yet, you know, when we conceive of this, we wonder how God can be personal. How, you know, he's so immense. How can he be personal? He seems like, you know, like a fog or some sort of vast, a gigantic air pocket or something. I mean, we, our conception just uh, runs into a mystery that makes it hard to imagine that he's personal. Well, I would suggest that perhaps you would think about your own soul. The fact that you've been created in the image of God as a human person, you are personal. You have all the assets of personhood because you're made in his image. And your soul may be confined to this body and its existence, but your soul is not material. It's not composed of any atoms. That's our body. And it's very similar with God. He's not confined, but he is a person. He is the very definition of being a person. And this is why when you think about the incarnation, when you think about the majesty of what happened on that day when Gabriel came to Mary and announced that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her like he overshadowed the temple, and she would conceive a holy child, the very Son of God, the Son of the Most High God, 
as a human being, the mystery is beyond understanding. You are, you are seeing the mighty power of God, not that he would be confined so that he no longer is everywhere at once, but so that he could take up human existence in a real way so that you have this person who is both God, who exists everywhere at once, and man who doesn't. And that's who we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is impossible for us to imagine the immensity of God confined to this person, but it's impossible not to imagine it because of his power and his uh, ability to accomplish all of his holy will. And then we confess as a psalmist, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain to it. So we do bump into mystery in the scripture, things that we cannot account for with our understanding. And we have to be content with that because we're being told things that are true, but they take us to the very limits of what we can understand. We understand to that point truly and faithfully through the word of God, but then beyond that, we can't go any further because then we would have to be God to understand it. And if you want to see what's happening here, is you read this passage, this whole psalm, and you're, you're seeing the wonder of the psalmist reflecting upon these things. And I would suggest to you in verses 13 and following, you're actually hearing the voice of Christ in this psalm. You have formed my inward parts. You've knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is really the voice of Christ, which we have in various places in the scripture. This is how the New Testament particularly interprets them. Several times they'll quote a psalm, like Psalm 22 or other psalms, 110, and they are Christ speaking. Uh, and this is actually in the book of Hebrews, several places. You have Christ speaking to the Father, the Father speaking to Christ, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and you even have us speaking to God. <laughs> this is it's, you know, the book of Hebrews is quite interesting and in who's talking to whom, and he's, he's seeing really a Trinitarian conversation going on, uh, and then we're included in this whole conversation and being addressed by the Spirit. Here we have the echo of Christ, and, and the Son of God himself is expressing the wonder of the incarnation in the latter parts of this psalm. So, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you for this, but I am I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I have taken upon myself human flesh that I would become like my brethren in every way, yet without sin. And brothers and sisters, that's Psalm 22. I will confess your name in the great assembly to my brothers. I will have brothers and sisters in the new creation where I will proclaim the name of God to them and they will stand in the presence of God. You know what's interesting about the book of Revelation is at the end of chapter 6 it says, 
The, the wrath of God and of the Lamb has, has come upon us. Who can stand? And then a few verses later it says, and then I saw a great host standing in the presence of God, holding palm branches, the sign of having passed uh, safely through the wilderness being, this is the book of, or the uh, Festival of Tabernacles being portrayed here, having passed safely through the wilderness into the promised land, and these people are standing in the presence of God because God has brought them safely through the passage in the wilderness. So, brothers and sisters, the next time you feel like God may have abandoned you, or whether you're alone in the world, I want you to think of this psalm. There's nowhere in all of creation you can be alone. He is with you everywhere, and he is kind and gracious. And our Savior, he knows what it means to feel abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why he was born, that he would take upon himself that abandonment that we feel. You don't have to feel abandoned anymore. You know that God is with you, and he is near you, and he hears you. You just cry out to him, and you know that your God cares for you. And know, I mean, like the psalmist here, he rejoices in all this. And if there's any grievous way in me, lead me in the way of understanding into the way of everlastingness. But how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, that I may know you more and more. Here now this, uh, this reflection upon the immensity of our great God on that day when he became incarnate. This is by John Donne. Salvation to all that will is nigh that all which always is all everywhere, which cannot sin and yet all sins must bear, which cannot die, it cannot choose but die. Lo, faithful virgin, yields himself to lie in prison in thy womb, and though he there can take no sin, nor thou give, yet he'll wear, taken from thence, flesh, which death's force may try. Ere by the spheres time was created, thou wast in his mind, who is thy son and brother, whom thou conceivest, conceived. Yet thou art now thy maker's maker, and thy father's mother. Thou hast light in darkness, and shutst in little room, immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. This is the majesty and the mystery of the incarnation of our Savior. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, that our great God, whom heaven cannot contain, and the earth, no matter where we may go and flee from you, you are there. We thank you for these immense truths, O Lord, which challenge us. We pray, O Lord, we would know you more and more. And also, O Lord, we may, like those magi, worship you. The majesty of the incarnation, it's a good thing to reflect upon. We pray that throughout this year we reflect upon the fact that our God is Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you and bless you because our Emmanuel came. In Jesus' name, amen.